0: Congress has just left for their summer recess, and while they're gone, let's just spend a minute or so talking about how to reform. The American healthcare system. I'm not talking about the politics of it, I'm not talking about who won, who lost. It's pretty clear who lost right now. Let's just talk about some real basic economics and maybe a way that we could fix the US healthcare, health insurance market using just the tools we have. It, I like to think back to the scene in Apollo 13 when the engineer dumps a bunch of stuff on the table and he says, We've got a, a square peg in a round hole and we got to make this. We have to find a way to make this fit into a hole for this using nothing but that, pointing to the stuff on the table. And so I like to think of this as an Apollo 13 type of solution to the American healthcare care system. In other words, using just the tools we have, is there a way that we can make the system at least better than what we have now? So let's set down some ground rules. First ground rule is we're going to try to shoot for near universal access to health insurance. We're getting pretty close with Obamacare but it's really painful. So let's try to get near universal access to health insurance. It's pretty clear now that many, if not most Americans, believe that everyone should have health insurance. And some go so far as to say that health insurance is a basic human right, whatever the heck that means. And so this may be one of the biggest shifts in US public opinion over time, shifting from having health insurance as a big part of personal responsibility to something that is now considered a basic human right. The second ground rule we're going to set is just some basic economics, and that is that everything has a price. There's no free lunch. If you want to add another essential benefit, premiums will go up. If you want community rating, then young, healthy people are going to subsidize older, sicker people. If you want a lower deductible, you'll pay a higher premium. I did some analysis for my own family using Oregon's plans, and I found that it's about 50 cents on the dollar. So in other words, a $1,000 decrease in deductible is associated about, with about a $500 increase in premiums annually. So there's no free lunch. You want a lower deductible, you're going to pay a higher premium, period. No way around it. Third ground rule is we're not going to have any new programs, and we're not going to make any super radical departures. You know, a lot of people say, well, gee, Singapore has a much better system than the U.S. And some people say, oh, well, I want to go to Canada. Canada has a great system. Switching to either system would be a radical departure from the tools we are already working with. It's not tools that were dumped on the table to fit our square peg into the round hole. This is America. This is Apollo 13. We've got to find a way to make this, and we're going to do it using the tools we have. So let's start with the private insurance market. It's the one I'm most interested in... They'll never work because insurance companies would never offer plans across state lines. All right, well, let's put up or shut up. Let's find out. Let's find out. If it's not going to work, let's try it. If the insurance companies don't want to offer plans across state lines, then they won't do it. But we shouldn't have a law that says that you can't do it. I mean, think about it, just from a basic, fundamental principles, It is ridiculous that you cannot buy insurance in another state. I could buy milk in another state. I can buy a car in another state. heck I can even buy a house in another state, but I can't buy health insurance in another state. Why? It doesn't make sense. It may work it may not, but let's find out. it shouldn't be illegal and no one is worse off by loosening this constraint. right No one's gonna be worse off. The next step is regarding insurance premiums and taxes. Right now, businesses can deduct their health insurance premiums from their own business taxes, so let's keep those insurance premiums as a deductible expense. This is no change from current law. Now, in addition, let's make insurance premiums deductible on individual taxes, in other words, my taxes, your taxes. Now, This, isn't, this is a not-so-radical change from current law that allows m- deductions from medical expenses, So now if someone has employer provided insurance under this idea, the business would be able to deduct the share that the employer pays, that the company pays, and the worker would also be able to deduct his share of the premium from his or her personal taxes. Now we know this deduction will reduce tax revenues, so it may have a cost, but the increase in private insurance coverage might reduce the burden and the costs on the Medicaid system, but also on the charity care system that's borne by nonprofit hospitals. So these straightforward changes would preserve one or more ACA compliant plan for those who want to pay uh, Obamacare's what they call silver prices. Um, so you've got at least one Obamacare plan, and you may have more, because remember you could buy across state lines. You may have 50 different Obamacare plans you can choose from. So now you're up to 50 different plans you could choose from. Uh, you've got choice across other plans that are offered by the insurance companies. And so, now you've got a wide range of different premiums for different people. And then also allowing individuals to deduct health insurance premiums is a huge step in creating what's known as portability, the ability to take your health insurance with you. Okay, so that's on the private side. Pretty straightforward, not a radical departure at all, really. If you think about it, we could buy other products across state lines, that's okay. Uh, we already deduct insurance premiums for businesses, extend it to individuals and we get rid of a mandate that wasn't around 10 years ago. On Medicaid, now here's where things get a little bit different. Again, not too radical, because remember, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, expanded Medicaid to a fairly big population of healthy people. But even with changes in Medicaid, if you don't have health insurance in the private sector, you get it in the public sector, and you get it in Medicaid, except for the people who qualify for Medicare, of course. That's off to the side. Now, those are in poverty, or low income, or at some measure, uh, some share of the poverty rate, let's say they would pay nothing, but everyone else would get paid charged a premium on a sliding scale based on ability to pay. So a single mother in poverty, if she's enrolled in Medicaid, would pay nothing, just like today. But someone like Elon Musk, if he decided to choose this option, would pay the full price, about $7,000 a year. A middle class family would pay something in between, in other words, because they're richer than poverty, but poorer than Elon Musk, they would pay some share, You know, maybe 50%. Who knows? It's a pretty wide divergence from the original intent of Medicaid, which was supposed to be for poor children and disabled, but it's a relatively modest change from the current ACA expansion. So the thing is, we've gotten rid of the mandate, but now we automatically enroll people in Medicaid who decide not to buy insurance. It, It's like a mandate, but it's better because at least you're getting something in return for what you're paying for. But at the same time, it still preserves consumer choice. You have a choice among all these private plans, and you have a choice to enroll in Medicaid, if you want. So what happens now? Would the Medicaid rolls explode? Who knows? And anyone who tells you they know probably doesn't know what they're talking about. The Census Bureau now reports that 15% of adults and 40% of children are currently enrolled in Medicaid. 40% of children in the US are currently enrolled in Medicaid. Research published in the New England Journal of Medicine, written by Jonathan Gruber and others, finds that 44% of the people who were enrolled in Medicaid with the expansion, the Obamacare expansion, 44% of those people qualified for Medicaid before the ACA. In other words, there are people are now getting Medicaid who could have gotten it years ago, and they either didn't want it or they didn't know about it. So now with these low-cost private insurance alternatives to Medicaid, some consumers would likely choose the private plans over Medicaid coverage. And also, if you have the Medicaid premiums increasing with incomes, then able-bodied and working adults would likely shift out of Medicaid to private coverage as the government plan loses its cost competitiveness, right? The bang for the buck isn't as good. You'll get a better bang for the buck in the private plan. So as your income rises, you'll shift in the private plan. You will naturally shift out of Medicaid, which kind of gets to the spirit of the original intent of Medicaid. And also because there's cost sharing as your incomes rise, that means that Medicaid would become partially, not entirely, and maybe not even a lot, but would become at least partially self-supporting. Now opponents of Medicaid expansion say that the program provides inferior service. They say it has fewer providers, lower quality providers, and generates worse outcomes. Now if that's true, then maybe that's a feature of this plan. Not a bug, it's a feature. Because if consumers have to pay for government health insurance and the coverage is inferior, if it's not as good, then consumers will have an incentive to exit the Medicaid market and enter the private market. They'll want to get that bang for the buck. Medicaid then becomes an insurer of last resort that it was intended to be. So there we go. We've got a fairly simple solution using the tools we have and it's a win-win. Think about it. The coverage problem is solved. Just about every American will have health insurance. They either get it from the private market or they get in Medicaid or Medicare or through the VA. Consumer choice is expanded, and this should be a big deal to a lot of people. You have more choice. You would even have more choice than you currently have. By allowing these non-ACA compliant plans, then you've got consumers who could choose insurance that fits their own unique situation. If you allow purchases across state lines, you have at least 50 different ACA plans that you can choose from. That's phenomenal. The individual mandate penalty is gone. Those who choose not to buy insurance would get placed their Medicaid. Higher-income individuals would pay a portion of the Medicaid costs. But this is not a penalty for having no insurance. It is simply the price of having insurance. So it's not really a mandate anymore. It's providing a product that you have self-selected into buying. We've also solved the pre-existing conditions, because Americans with pre-existing conditions would have a choice of a number of different insurance options. Any of the Obamacare or silver plans that are offered in any of the 50 states. And then you also have the private market. And then you also have Medicaid providing you that coverage for your pre-existing condition. Now, I'm going to admit, this is not a perfect solution. It may not even be a good solution. But it is a solution that is way better than what we've got. And it's way better than what, what Congress has come up with so far. It works also with the box of tools that we already have in front of us. It will get us to put that square peg into the round hole. When Congress comes back from their recess, they could do this and they could do it quick.